0: Thanks for joining Impact Boom on this episode.
1: Music, again, not being doing something super magical, but what it is doing is creating these spaces in which young people get to come together and just be all of themselves, not just be an ethnicity or be one aspect of their experience, but be their whole person, their full identity. I think that's something that music really offers. We bring our whole selves into a musical space.
0: Welcome to impactboom.org. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes.
2: Thanks for listening to episode 467 of Impact Boone. My name is Sarah, and I'm passionate about visioning, empowering, and contributing to positive, regenerative heart and soul-led initiatives locally and globally. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Gillian Howe. Gillian is a musical connector and changemaker whose creative practice and applied research explores the contributions of community music to post-war transitions and recovery, including peace building, community dialogue and music restoration. She's a senior research fellow at the University of Melbourne and director of Tura's Sound FX project in the Kimberley. Her work has taken her around Australia and the world, including Bosnia-Herzegovina, Sri Lanka, Timor-Leste, Kosovo, North Macedonia, and she's delivered research consultancies for Save the Children, Middle East, Musicians Without Borders, and Sri Lanka-Norway Music Cooperation. Closer to home, Dr Howell's long-term community-led research and songwriting collaboration with First Nations Language Educators in the Kimberley, has produced an album of original songs with another one on the way and a soon-to-be-completed community songbook in three endangered Aboriginal languages. On today's podcast, we'll discuss the benefits of participatory arts, particularly in complex contexts, as well as the positive impacts and some key learnings from working with various communities from very different environments across the world to foster connection, engagement and community building. Gillian, thank you so much for being with us today. It is terrific to have you here.
1: Thanks so much for the invitation. Great to be joining you.
2: To start off, could you please share a little bit about your background and what led you to the field that you're in today? My background is as I'm a musician, so I did an
1: undergraduate degree in music performance on the clarinet. After that, even though that was a very kind of straightforward, very mainstream training to become an orchestral musician and a chamber musician in the Western classical music world, pretty quickly after that, I moved more into improvisation, group devising, which is the way that a, a rock band might be working if they're creating a song together, that we're Everybody in the room has a say in the shape of the music that you're going to play. And so using those kinds of techniques and working a lot in community contexts became a big part of my creative practice pretty early on after I finished my undergraduate training. And that was partly because I moved to the UK and did some study there as a postgrad that kind of opened up a much broader musical world for me.
2: Yeah, great. And then since you've found yourself uh, working globally in community music and in peace building, which I know encompasses a lot of things. So can you tell us more about your work in those spaces? I think that probably the, the practice side of it came about because I was very much
1: working with music as being a way to create a space in which good things can grow. So, you know, that peace can grow, that feelings of connection can grow, that feelings of empathy between people can grow, that voices can be amplified that might have struggled to find a space to be heard in um, other contexts, that metaphor and symbol and gesture, that music can be- offer the space in which all of those become part of your communicative toolkit. And that means that it was increasingly a space where, particularly in the work I was doing with young people, where it, there was space to explore more difficult topics and more difficult parts of experience. That was the starting point. I haven't really thought about it as peace building until really very recently because I was always thinking about the peace building side of things as being about the rebuilding of social fabric or the repair of social relationships after violent conflict or war where there's been a schism down identity lines that's pulled people apart, that's forced them to live in very segregated ways. And I worked in the Balkans in Bosnia- Herzegovina for almost a year just after the war had ended there, and that was really the sort of pivotal or seminal experience in my life as a musician that made me start to think about the different ways that music making and music connecting might might offer a um, healing capacity, not as music therapy or in a sort of clinical therapeutic model, but as a well-being practice, as a way of caring for yourself and caring for others. For me as a music facilitator, I became increasingly interested in what that meant for my creative practice and how I worked with groups to allow space for that kind of thing to emerge.
2: Mm. and as you've mentioned here you're an expert musician facilitator educator and researcher with phd and you've worked in an array of communities can you tell us about some of the projects and the key learnings from working in these really complex often contexts
1: yeah well if i think about working in sri lanka when i went to sri lanka in 2016 i was working as part of a project that was called the Sri Lanka-Norway Music Cooperation. So Norway's government was investing money in the development or support for, like, restoration of, really, Sri Lanka's music traditions. So this is, like, folk music traditions. So the civil war in Sri Lanka had divided communities and also was a complex war in terms of how it was ended, how how its Eastfire came about. It came about through a very, very violent, government process to fully quell and bring an end to the separatist movement of the Tamil Tigers of Elam. And many lives were lost, many people were displaced, huge traumas were suffered, and the island was essentially left divided. So this music cooperation had both a music development goal but also a reconciliation goal As seeing music and folk music as being a, a space of common ground where there were quite a few shared traditions or if not exactly shared there were a lot of common or similar traditions that had common roots and so the war we know armed conflict and war has devastating impact on music traditions because knowledge holders may lose their lives, but also they may lose instruments. Practices are often very closely connected to place. And so when those people lose access to those places, or even lose access to the night, which might be a traditional time when performances take place, all of that means that it's very difficult for those practices to be restored without some kind of support in the years after the war. So Norway was stepping into that space, but it also was interested in, can this be a space in which people's lives and people's fabric of connection to each other can also be restored. And so I came in as a researcher to look at that question of what does reconciliation look like in this space? So a really key learning that I got from the Sri Lanka project was about the limitations of music, that music never works with this sort of independent, magic ingredient that you bring music in and that's it that's the answer there I could see in this music cooperation where there are a lot of different kinds of projects happening big festivals and workshops small workshops between people and small workshops and festivals in villages the role between cultural learning that was taking place but also the opportunity to build friendships and independent relationships was so important wasn't necessarily a matter of just bringing for example two groups of young drumming groups together one Tamil, one Sinhalese, to come together and create a music collaboration together. There needed to be opportunity for them to not just make music together but also to get to know each other, to build the trustful relationships that come about when you get to share a meal and have an unstructured conversation and communicate with each other in different ways just making the music together wasn't going to deliver a real change in relationship. And it seems obvious to say it, but I think for a, quite a long time, the early research in music and peace building, and also a lot of the practices, were built around a very idealistic idea of what music could produce, that this idea of it would be a universal language and that in and of itself would be enough. But the Sri Lanka project really showed that there is a lot of nuance that needs to be applied, a lot of understanding of context, and then also just some very practical remembering that these are people and human beings and we use music as one of a big expressive part of our expressive toolkits. so music can't do all the heavy lifting on its own it's really useful if people also get to sit down and have a meal together it's really useful if they are in the same accommodation and have some shared spaces to hang out in and when those things are there then we start to see really great changes in people's relationships to each other and when they're not there then we don't really see it feels like a meaningful experience but it's one that people as in for the participants but then it's one that later on when they talk about it they realize they didn't actually get anyone else's phone number they're not actually connected to them on social media in 2016 that was the case so that idea of the social have to continue to sit in the social space is really important Mm, mm, mm.
2: that holistic holistic approach right that's going to help to create that cohesion and and really anchor it do you I know you've worked with lots of different First Nations communities in Australia could you share some of the projects that you've been working on and
1: the work that I've been doing predominantly is in partnership with Tura which is a new music organization based in WA and I've been working with them on a project called Sound FX in Fitzroy Crossing in the Kimberley and there our project is all about the ways that music can support different forms of cultural well-being and healing and connection and and through particularly working with language. So I work there with early childhood educators, Aboriginal women who have committed to working with the youngest children to give them a really great start in life. And then they're also wanting as part of that program for it to be as, as culturally rich as possible, as culturally grounded in local knowledge and local languages, local place, (laughs) if you like. Um, And so my role has been to support them to create new songs in their heritage languages. Many of the educators are still learning to speak their heritage language because all of the legacies of colonial violence mean that those traditional transmission methods were disrupted. We're talking the day after the anniversary of the apology by the Rudd government to the Stolen Generations. So the stolen generations that those practices of removing children have had a terrible, devastating impact on language strength and it, people's ability to be able to continue those traditional ways of passing on language knowledge, such as through grandparent child relationships or carer child relationships. So the songs that we write, and my role is just to be a facilitator of that process, the song topics, the languages, everything is driven by the community. It's very much owned by them and a process that they have initiated as seeing as something that's important and useful for them in their work. But we create songs about goannas and hunting and fishing and how to care for country and how to live sustainably and all of these important cultural lessons that they want young children to be learning and singing about, but also using all sorts of different forms of storytelling and play to really embed this knowledge in their daily lives. And for every day they come to kinder or play a group, they'll be engaging with this material. I mean, it's a linguistically complex space. There are three heritage languages that are being spoken and used within the Early Childhood Centre. There's also Creole, which is probably the main language in most people's homes. And then there's dated Australian English, which is what I'm speaking, and some of the other non-Indigenous educators are all speaking as well. It is was really trying to create a very supportive environment for these young children to be hearing their heritage languages for the adult educators as well to be using their languages, to be reclaiming them and building up their experiences of of being creative with those languages with the support of their elders. It's a beautiful project. I'm always really excited to talk about it and we've got all sorts of big things coming up and albums coming out soon that will be available for everyone in the community and everywhere else to download. We're also creating a big songbook with artwork from children and adults in the community and all of the song lyrics and notation set up so that people can put the song book and their album together and learn to sing these fabulous songs that are heaps of fun.
2: That's fantastic, really great. Yeah. Gillian, what are some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that you feel are creating really amazing change?
1: Um, I'm really inspired by a lot of the work of Musicians Without Borders. Um, they do really great work in um are making music happen in so many different settings. They work in beautiful partnership as allies. They they have a really clear model of work that is very much about partnership and collaboration and allyship and solidarity. They are very much led by community desires, so they don't initiate projects, communities approach them. And so one of the projects of theirs that I've been involved with as a researcher is a project called Music Connects, which is happening in the Balkans. It involves three different rock schools and they have partnerships also happening in Belgium and Germany and the Netherlands. And These rock schools bring young people together across these lines of ethno-linguistic division that have been really entrenched since the wars in Yugoslavia in the 1990s. They make rock bands and they write songs and they record songs and they put on concerts. All of that is super normal except that it's not normal for young people to mix it to this extent or to interact with each other and to get to know each other so much in some of the settings that these projects are taking place in. So I love this project because it's completely uncompromising about artistic contention. This is about the rock music and that's what the young people are excited by. That's what they come along for. And at the same time, it's really making change. Those changes are always going to be somewhat contingent on what's happening politically so that if things get wound back there's sort of an outbreak of say hostilities maybe not armed violence although sometimes violence is possible and is a feature but even just an impasse politically that means cooperation has been vastly reduced and that can affect people's freedom of movement and ability to travel from one side of a divided city to the other. Music, again, not being doing something super magical, but what it is doing is creating these spaces in which young people get to come together and just be all of themselves, not just be an ethnicity or be one aspect of their experience, but be their whole person, their full identity. And I think that's something that music really offers. We bring our whole selves into a musical space. We don't just bring our ethnic identity, our language, our status as a refugee or our status as a First Nations person or any of those things, a settler person in my case. We bring all of ourselves mm-hmm. and God, that's a, that's rich because I think in this life that we live sometimes a lot of spaces get narrowed and living in a narrowed existence constrains you in so many different ways and I think in terms of energy and spirit and yourself being someone who can bring about change in your community, all of that becomes part of those constraints and
2: that's not good for the world. Absolutely. The power of unification in that shared experience of music that transcends all of those other parts of identity or labels, yeah. Mm. Gillian, do you have any books or resources that you would recommend to our listeners? Yes, I reckon.
1: All right, so podcasts. There's some really fantastic podcasts out there. I really love and I go back often to listen to podcasts that were produced by a media platform in the US called The Coral Commons. They are really active during COVID lockdown times. They continue to work, but I've often gone back to their back catalogue to check out some of those earlier interviews, um, second time round, third time round. They interview really amazing practitioners from around the world. So the Coral Commons podcast, check that out. I listen to it through Apple Podcasts, but it's on all the platforms. There's also a podcast that's put out by the European Union-based organisation, Art27. The name is from the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, Article 27, which states that we all have the right to participate freely in cultural life. And they have a podcast called Resounding. And Resounding, again, they interview artists, activists, advocates who are really looking at the role that the arts can play in social change. So their work's really fantastic as well. And another podcast is Music and Peacebuilding, which is being produced by a researcher in the United States called Kevin Shauna Johnson, Elizabethtown College. So Music and Peacebuilding, he interviews a lot of really great musicians, activists, advocates as well. There's a book called A Restless Art by Francois Matarasso, and it's free, available for download. It's a really great book for anyone who's a practitioner in this space but is looking for the words to describe what it is that they do. Francois Matarazzo, he's been writing on this topic for a long time and I think his writing is really beautifully thoughtful, reflective, critical, humble and vivid. He he has witnessed and been part of so many different diverse projects And he produces a lot of great resources and many of them are available for free. So I recommend all of his writing, but the book A Restless Art has much to recommend it in terms of the experience of the artists themselves and what it is to create work in this way. And then I love the writing of a peace building scholar called John Paul Lederach. He's someone who has really made these links between art making and peacemaking as being something that is about creating something that doesn't get exist, like um, the work of imagining it and then bringing it into existence. There's a book that he wrote with his daughter who's also a musician, Angela Lederach, and that book is called When Blood and Bones Cry Out. That's about social healing and writes very powerfully about metaphor as well. So I, I've that's a book I return to many times. And another book of his is called The Moral Imagination, which is about the art and soul of peace building. So there's much to learn from his writing as well for us as artists who are interested in what it means to be working in with our art form in order to bring about to create these spaces in which peace can grow and to think about that and you know all these different levels from the individual level right through to the sort of societal level. And then please watch this space, listeners, or listen to this space, because I'm working on a book as well. And it's still some way off, but I do quite a bit of writing on this topic of music and peace building. And there's an article that I wrote that came out a couple of years ago called Pieces of Music, Pieces spelt P-E-A-C-E-S. And in that, one of the things that I'm really trying to do is just, again, create a bit more vocabulary with which we might talk about the work that musicians and musician peace builders do, right from protest music and disruptive work to inner peace and bringing about change within ourselves and that really deep difficult struggle that we need to sometimes you know go through to process difficult experiences but also be the change that we want to see that was quite a list but there's a lot of reading press (laughs) rewind and go back oh listening um there's so much that's great that's out there and i I wish i had more time just to read and i have more time than most because i'm a full-time researcher oh it's a never-ending list but There's some great people doing great work and documenting it in different ways. So lots to learn, lots to absorb and be inspired by.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Gillian, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time and the amazing work that you're doing in forging these paths of peace building and music and co-creating and reimagining what's possible in this space. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to talk to you today.